Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Against the Grain podcast, where we discuss woodworking and the business of woodworking. This is episode number 10, part two of Adhesives. My name is Justin De Palma, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Freddie Roman. Hello. And Guy Dunlap. How are you? I'm doing good. What's the new guy in the shop? Uh, I started a little bit of work on my my buffet. My wife had gave me a, a huge honeydew list a couple of weeks ago, and I'm slowly working through that. But uh, I started milling up the lumber, and uh, I've got a, I've got a decent start on it. But uh, it's going slow for right now. I hope to get good. it done before uh, <laughs> before Christmas, anyways. <laughs> good. You got everything ironed out that you talked about last week, last time. Yes and no. I'm going to get to that point and then I'll, then I'll make a decision, but I, I can't, you know, sit here and wring my hands, uh, about how I'm going to do it. I just need to start going on the project and I'll, I'll figure things out when I get to that point. Gotcha. I do that a lot. I think we all do. Yeah. Yeah. Wait till you get pushed in a the corner, then get out of it, figure out your way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Justin? What am I doing? I just finished up all my foam stuff. So I cleaned my shop. I think you'd work in there, guy. It's nice and clean now. Nice. And then the last couple of days, I've been doing a little bit of painting for a customer, some interior doors. And then uh, I got some little odds and ends to finish up on a kitchen that I did about a month ago. And those mantles, I'm back on those mantles I was doing before the foam job. So. Cool. Freddie, what are you up to? I am finishing up a pine like farm table with Milson like texturing. And I'm finishing mm-hmm. up a clock for a conservation job. And that'll basically sum up the week for me. Yeah, I saw that table on Instagram. It looks pretty good, man. It's a big table, but it's coming along nicely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, guy, do you want to do a little, a little business side of it and talk about the Patreon and sure. reviews and stuff? Yeah. If you go to patreon.com slash the ATG podcast, we have a page there. You can sign up. We have different reward levels that go everywhere from a, a sticker to a t-shirt. And, uh, I'd like to thank our current patrons. We've got Sean Raymakers, John Ross, Mike Holzhauer, Keith Johnson, Sean Walker and Michael Hill. Thanks, guys, and uh, I hope everybody can that hears us goes there and sees what we have to offer and signs up. Helps us out a lot. Yeah, it does. We spend a lot of time doing this. So, um, last week we spoke about adhesives, and it took us more time than we originally thought it would. And it turned out to be a really good topic. So we figured last week was part one and this will be part two. And we have a couple more adhesive we want to cover uh, that we, we all use. And then we figured we start comparing them in this episode as well. So with that, we can start part two of this whole thing. So, uh, Guy, where do you, which, what do you want to start with now? Uh, well, we, we've got some questions that we never covered last time. Okay. And uh, I'm looking at the the list here. Some of these we've covered previously, but the the one that that I'm seeing right on top is 
what glue stores best? And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a very general question, but, you know, I hear that all the time. How long does PVA glue last? How long does this glue last? How long does that glue last? And it really depends on, you know, obviously what type of glue you're using. PVA, you know, I've heard six months. I buy that stuff by the gallon, or I used to anyways. And I've had it last a couple of years before I've had to even worry about it going bad. I don't know what your guys' experiences have been with PVA. Yeah, same with me. Uh, it's lasted a couple of years. Um, I've heard that if it starts to get thick, you can shake it up. But it's once it starts... Uh, hmm. Kind of comes, becomes like, cottage, like, like cottage, cottage cheese. Yes, yeah, cottage cheese. That's what I was thinking. If it becomes cottage cheese, then yeah, it's trash. Throw it away. It's not worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience with it, Freddie? Well, I was thinking about it. I usually don't buy gallons anymore. It's been a long time. So for me, I just been buying kind of like that quart size or that next medium size. And that has lasted me a couple years easy without any issue. Yeah, a big part of it, I think, is freezing it. If it gets frozen, it's not good for it at all. Yeah, and usually what happens is that they get that thick, like, yellow line. When you start seeing that mm-hmm. in the bottle, it's it's like you kind of don't want to choose that particular one. And right. we had this issue at Woodcraft when I worked in Connecticut that about the, old, the glue getting frozen, and that created issues – and uh, there was a big like recall by the stores because the glue was failing. So I guess that's one witness to be aware of. Yeah. So you, Freddie, use high glue so much. I'm guessing that's what you buy a lot of. Does that yes. have a chance to go bad on you? Yes. You know, if we I use it- old brown glue, if we use old brown glue, supposedly the shelf life of that is. At least a year, but potentially if you put it in the fridge, it's going to be a couple years at least. And um, I've never really known about the Typon version or the Franklin version, if it's expired or when, how long it lasts in the bottle. So I never really don't know about the dating of that issue, of that glue. There's been concerns of high glue failing because it sit on the shelf too long. And the issue is it's not really easy to find like a ex- expiration date. It's all coded a certain way. So there's not an easy way to determine how old the glue is that you're using. Yeah. On the, on the Franklin, cause that's, that's what I use. Um, that's what I use mm-hmm. currently anyways. It does have an expiration date on it. Mm. If my memory serves me, which my memory isn't very good, but, um, it does have an expiration date. I had a bottle of it that lasted me almost a year because it, you know, it spreads so, you know, it flows so nice. You don't really have to go through a lot of it like you do PVA. But uh, I haven't had any problems with it yet. So, does that stuff when it when it starts to go bad? Is it like regular high glue or it gets rancid? I didn't have a chance for it to to get to that point. It, 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 when I bought it, it said it had a shelf life of about six months from when I bought it. And I went almost a whole year and I've got, you know, a bunch of stuff I've built with it. And I'm looking at some of it right now. I've got a, a bunch of boxes here that are, you know, almost a year old and there hasn't been any issues with them at all. Freddie, what is your experience with the old brown glue going bad? 
Well, I've never experienced it going bad at all. Uh, I know Patrick Edwards have men- has mentioned that there's about a two to three year lifespan of it, but you have the capability of putting it in a fridge in the refrigerator or or to put in a freezer, and that uh, that extends the life of the glue. I've been using old brown glue now in the same container of a bottle of glue for about three years, and <laughs> I've never had an issue. And I usually put it right in the fridge when I'm done using it. So I've never had any concerns or issues of it. And I do test it. And I think for precautions, Patrick may put a shorter term of, of, of a lifespan for the glue. But I've never really had any concerns or issues. How, how do you test ahead, it? I'm sorry? How do you test well, it? What I do you? is I, I, I test it by putting two boards together and gluing it up. And I wait 24 hours to see if if the glue has dried and the strength of the glue. And then I smack it, you know, the two pieces together. I hold one in a clamp and then I smack the other one that's overhanging the outside the vise. And to see if the glue joint will fail or if it's going to take wood fibers with it. And every time it's taking wood fibers with it, the joint hmm. that I glue together does not separate. But is there is there any way to tell, you know, like we were talking before about PVA, there's a, a difference in viscosity. Is there smell. And smell, is there anything like that with the with the old brown glue that you've noticed? You've never had it go bad, so you don't no. really know. So I don't really know and I and I, and I've asked Patrick um how can you tell if it's gotten old? And he basically applied and you know, what he implied was that when you warm it up as in the glue, the consistency should be more watered down because you're heating it. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't become watered down, then it obviously has gone bad. Okay. Yeah, because so, the, the Franklin I take, usually when I'm, before I use it, I'll, I'll bring it in the house and run a, the, the bottle under hot water for, for a minute or two. And, uh, man, when you put it on there, it just flows out so nice. Mm-hmm. Freddie, how do you heat yours? Well, I use a a like teapot water boiler in the shop. So I usually heat it up in hot glue. So whenever I need warm glue, warm glue or warm water, I just put the teapot on, wait a couple minutes. I may even put the, the glue in the teapot warmer and just put it at 120 or 130. And it takes only a couple minutes for it to get to the viscosity I need. And I only, I only do that when I really need it to be really thin or it's cold, like in the winter. But from the spring, maybe summer even, um, I just use it right out of the bottle. I never really have to heat it up. But come okay. you know, late fall to spring, I then use it with hot water. Yeah. Okay. Now you, you use a lot of high glue from beads, don't you, Freddie? Or not so much anymore. High glue beads. The the beads. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I've never used the beads. The beads are a different grade of of high glue, and usually, to my knowledge, that's what's been shared to me, is that the pearls or the beads are very inconsistent in gram strength. It's basically, you know, a horse died on the side of the road or a cow died on the side of the road and that scrap that dead you know dead animal on the side of the road it's used to make glue now the granules the granules that i do buy 
Um, I buy in 50 pound bags and I usually only use 192 gram strength for everything I do. And that works great. The, usually when people say, oh, high glue smells or, or it doesn't, it stinks up the place. It's probably because they were using pearls. If you use granules, it doesn't really smell at all. You know, it doesn't smell bad. It, you know, you can, there's an odor to it, but it doesn't offend your nose or your breathing. I didn't know there was, Sweet I didn't even know there was a difference. I've never, yeah, I've, never a huge used, difference. I've, I've never used uh, that type of high glue before. So I know I, I just mm-hmm. remember I, I, when you had bought, this was a while ago, you had bought like a 50 pound container of it and you were selling, you know, pound bags mm-hmm. of it here and there. Yeah, I know. I usually buy about 10 or 15 pound bags uh, at a time. I get a skid full coming in and I get it from a company in upstate New York. And I forget the name, unfortunately. You would think I would know off the top of my head right now. And it's the best stuff. They basically are the importers of all granule high glue in the States. So if you're buying high glue from someone else in the States, basically, they got it from that particular company in New York, and they're repackaging it. It's far cheaper to buy 50-pound bags and separate it between two or three guys or woodworkers than it is just to go ahead and buy it um, from from other suppliers. And that's the reason why I sell it about 10 or $11 per pound, because I feel that it's not right to take advantage of other woodworkers trying to get in to use it. So, but most people out there sell it for 15 or $18 a pound, but realistically it only costs five or $6 a pound if you buy 50 pound bags. So if you had, let's say a, a six pound bag, how, what's the, the, the yield of how much glue that, that makes? Six pounds will, boy, like a that's gallon, a half gallon, a quart. No, it's more, it's basically we use not even a quarter pound for a quart of container. So you can okay. imagine, you know, it'll be several gallons, you know, several yeah. gallons. It's, it, I can't, I've never, that's a great question. I never thought about how many gallons that would produce, but it's, it's literally, we take one coffee cup, like those paper coffee cups, scoop of high glue, put it in the pot, fill it with water near the brim, you know, within a few hours, it's ready to go. So you can imagine how much glue that produces. But in the shop here, we use hot high glue a lot, and we go about 15, 20 pounds a year of high glue. Now, when do you – you'll use the old brown glue. You use the Mm -hmm. high glue granules. I won't call them beads. Sorry, the granules. Uh, Mm -hmm. Why do you use one versus the other? Well, when, 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 when do you say need, I want to use hot high glue or I'm going to use the old brown glue? When I have the need for a complicated glue up, that's probably when I would use old brown glue. But for everything else, I would use the hot high glue because it's quick tack and um, I can hammer veneer with it. But if there's a lot of joints, or something that's really tight fitting and I'm concerned of a swelling of the material, say like Eastern white pine, then I will go ahead and use old brown glue. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Steve has been using it. Your, your shop helper mm-hmm. was using, was using high glue as well. Yes. Yep. I'm guessing this lottery store is still use it then. 
Yes. You know, lottery stores still use it because I think one of the main reasons why they still use it is that they can be sloppy and not worry about the glue squeeze out affecting the finish. Mm -hmm. It's easy to clean up. And the other reason is, is that the high glue or I guess most protein glues can adhere to itself. So there's no reason to clean the mortises or clean off the tenons. You can just butter it on and put it back in place. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Right. You didn't mention that. So that's what I think is the main advantage. Um, but you, you have to be concerned. Uh, you know, even with Steve, there's times that if he's not really rushing, the glue can start setting up. So, you know, you really have to make sure that the consistency or the viscosity of the glue is to, you know, the desired thickness that you want for the particular glue up that you have at hand, which is the main concern or fear for woodworkers out there who are trying to get into using high glue. It's just there's they feel like there's a lot of um, concerns or or things they have to do to perfect the method. And it's usually... The way I look at it is just like maybe once an hour, I'll take five seconds and look at it. And if it looks like light cream, consistency, perfect. If it doesn't, I add a little bit of water. The only other advice I can give you, and I learned this from Pat Edwards, is that for hot glue, you want to add hot water. For cold glue, you want to add cold glue. Because imagine if you're getting ready for a glue up, and you're like, all right, this is a little bit too thick for me. Let me add cold water. Well, unfortunately, now it drops the temperature of the glue down. You really want to add hot water so that it stays a very consistent thickness and it doesn't have to heat up as much. Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's our next question? Um, this is a, a very general question too, but I think it's it's important. We t- we've talked about PVA glue quite a bit already, but... Um, Type bond one, two, extended, and type bond three, you know, how how do we use them? When do we use them? Why do we use them kind of thing? Well, I'll, I'll start off. So type bond one and two, me personally, I, I go down to the local hardware store, whichever one they have, I just grab. So one and two are very, for myself personally, I don't notice much of a difference. Um, I use three quite a bit it's definitely a third of the glue that i use because i do some exterior stuff Mm -hmm. so when i do exterior doors i'm always using that for glue ups uh any chance there's a chance if it can get it wet i will use it or if i'm doing uh, a glue up of walnut where i need a dark wood and i want a darker glue line so that's that's my reasons for using it yeah a couple times that i've used uh type on three because it was walnut and like you said it's Mm -hmm. a little bit darker um, but it's, it's oh, still very runny. It's got a lot more water in it. It, it is. It is a lot more runnier. Yeah. Uh, the, the other reason to use it, and it's, I think everybody basically knows this, is for cutting boards mm-hmm. because it's, it has a possibility of getting wet. And it's The regular type bond won't work. It's going to either fall apart or your glue line will just get soft and then that part will loosen up on it. So Yeah. Mm. yeah. What about you, Freddie? Do you use, do you uh, use PVA at all? And when do you? I do I do use PVA. I mainly depend on the original type on or type on one. And I don't know when I use it. It's like I use it so sparingly. I really don't know when I would actually use it. The type on three recently, I did use it for an exterior door job that was 
re-veneering. And that worked out really great. But again, it has a dark line. I've never used Type-On 3 for cutting boards. I've only used it for Type-On 1 for cutting boards. I've never had really? an I've never had an issue, but I was considering this year, because uh, I have to make some cutting boards for an event, that I was going to try the Type on 3. But the reason why I don't like the Type on 3 is because of the dark glue line, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and from the, let me see, I've done over 200 cutting boards and I've only had two separate. In both instances, the individual decided just to, like leave it soaking in water. And I was like, well, it's wood. It moves. There's glue joints everywhere. So that's what's going to happen. <laughs> and then the other one was, I just remember this one client called and said, hey, your cutting board is failing. And I was like very alarmed because they paid a lot of money for it. So I said, what did you do with it? You know, did you leave it soaking? He's like, no, I didn't soak it or anything, but I did run it to the dishwasher. dishwasher. And yeah. I was like, well, you know, that's. I've had one of them too. I was like. Yep. I had to make a. A, a, a friend of mine called up my wife ran your dish your board through the dishwasher it failed i was like all right what do you want to do you want a new one mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, that's not warranty that way yeah. yep but i i, I feel <laughs> left out of this conversation i've never i've I, just like i said i've never made a pen i've never made a cutting board is that a, like a rite of passage for all wood no have to be? no don't don't feel left okay out. thank you I I think Freddie's doing just like me. You make them because it's it's quick, easy money. So yeah, and they're for, good for holidays. You know, for some odd about reason, um, when we do have family gatherings, you kind of be like, you know, they say, "Oh, what do you do for you know for work?" And I say, "Oh, I'm a furniture maker or a furniture store." They can't imagine it. And I was like, "Look at the cutting boards. Like, leave me alone. Look at the cutting boards." Kind of like, <laughs> the cutting boards speak for themselves, and they're like, "Oh, that kind of woodworking." Like, yeah. Um, and then they tell you, then they tell you they're too nice to cut on, right, Freddie? Oh yeah, it's the worst. So then I usually grab it off yeah. the shelf and like start slamming meat on it and beating the meat on it because it's just like it's supposed to be used. Like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> uh, I'm laughing. <laughs> Whatever. Um, it, it, the, what I tell my customers is, well, then you show one side, you cut on the other. Yep, good point. And then they're like, oh, okay, that's mm-hmm. that's a good idea. Yep. So, yeah, but. Um, all right, so let's. What's another question? Um, glue sizing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a question: Is glue sizing miters? Is it something we do? And then there's uh, that you know kind of dovetails into another question, which was how strong are miters with just glue? I, I, I make a lot of boxes, as you guys know, and I'm sure some of our listeners do. And I, I size miters all the time, and I don't use splines that much only for decoration um Mm -hmm. if it's a but that's just a small box now if you're building something bigger than that yeah it it does require some um extra uh splines in it or something to strengthen it up but uh i do size miters and that's just taking you know the glue mixing with water 50 50 and putting it on there letting it dry and then putting the glue over the top of that. And that's where hide glue works really, really well because as Freddie mentioned before, hide glue sticks to hide glue. I just put a heavy coating on both miters and then allows to squeeze out. My experience with miter gluing is from when I worked in the construction industry, 
And there is times where I've taken door trim off of doors that I put up where the miter stayed together and I was able to rip the trim off the walls and everything was hand nailed. So it wasn't like it was a, a, a brad nailer that you're just pulling that little 18 gauge nail off. No, it was pulling a regular six penny and a four penny nail out and the miter stayed together. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you all of them have, but I've had a couple of them actually do that and it surprised me. And it's just mm-hmm. that glue is extremely stronger. Just like you're saying, guy, it will hold a miter together if everything is perfect. I believe it can work. Yeah. Yeah. Freddie, do you size your joints? Well, there's a th- yes. Let's start there. I do size my, my end grain miter joints. And the reason for that is for the concern of glue starve. Because if a freshly hand plane miter, uh, you can really see the vessels and the straws of the species of wood. And what is recommended is you want to feed the miter. And like fill up the vessels to so that when you apply the high glue or the glue that you're going to be using liberally across the whole miter joint, that you're not concerned of the joint to, to be starved. That's mm-hmm. one one mm-hmm. thing I do for sizing the joints. And then how I do it is I apply a very I apply glue on the miter or the the end grain, and then I wipe it really down with my hand, the palm of my hand, and making sure that I leave a very thin film finish on there, wait a few minutes, and then reapply the glue. The other thing I do is uh, for end grain on pieces of furniture, everyone knows end grain gets really dark. And I personally, depending on what style of furniture I'm making, I don't want the end grain to be really dark. So I size the end grain so that when I put finish on top of it, it's consistent visually all the way around. So yeah. there's no dark light compare contrast. I haven't I I haven't tried that. I, I usually just sand to a really high grit on the end grain. That's what I do. And that mm-hmm. works. That works pretty well. It's kind of hard when you've got a um, a profile like on a tabletop. It takes a long time mm-hmm. to, to to you know sand it to 600 grit or whatever. But I've never tried sizing it. Maybe that's something I should try. So uh, you're you're sizing it with high glue though, right, Freddie? Yes, I am sizing with high glue. Okay. All right. Yeah. Are you thinning it? I've never sized anything. I am not, no. Huh. It's interesting. I just use it just right out of the out of the bottle or out of the glue pot. And I've never tried uh PVA glue or anything like that. Yeah, I wouldn't put PVA glue in there. Um that's interesting. That's interesting. What do you what do you think about uh, how well about you know how strong are miters with just glue? I personally think that miters with just glue for anything bigger than a box, like a small jewelry box, you need some added strength yeah. with you know splines from the exterior or inter- internal hidden splines, because if you drop it on the floor, it's just going to break. Unfortunately, it's not it's not a great joint, and I. I, I Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I do agree with you hundred um, percent. A miter door trim is not that big and nor is a box and it's, it's small. There's very little stress on them joints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get, I get that uh, all the time when I post pictures on Instagram, my boxes are like, you didn't put splines in there. It's going to fall apart. And I was like, no, it's not. It's, yeah. There's no it's stress. A six by 10 box. <laughs> yeah. If you, well, you know, the other thing is if you have an, 
if you have an enclosed uh, like drawer bo- drawer bottom, you know that adds significant amount of strength. That acts as a spline, and um, we've tested it the splining concept. You know, at school, we would do a miter joint, size it, everything, and glue it, let it dry properly, and we have that one set up. And then we have the same exact joint with splines, and we step on it, and we can like this is significant amount of improvement by just adding a few splines to the miter. Mm-hmm. You know, and the other thing is if you want to have splines but not be visual, you know, you can always do the internal splines. Tay Frid wrote an amazing article and also in, in his books on how to easily do the internal splines so that's hidden. And it's quite easy and it's amazing the strength that you can get from it. Yeah. All right. Let's let's talk about veneer glue. Uh, there's, you know, there's hide glue, which can be used to, you know, hammer veneer. If you're using a bag or clamps, you can use PVA glue. You can use cold press veneer glue, which is a type of PVA. You can also use a urea resin glue and that's available in several different types, um, where you add water to it or a two part, kind of like a Unibond 800. Uh, what, what do you use most of the time, Freddie? Well, it depends on the project. That's a pretty broad. I guess, you know, yeah, sorry about that. Well, it's kind kind of, I think it's kind of funny because it's like, I feel like I'm not adding anything new to it because I, for hammer veneer, I just use hide glue and it's just like, um, uh, this is where old brown glue comes in again. Freddie, when do you use urea glues or do you use urea glue, Freddie? So when it comes to veneering, once in a while, or I used to use the Unibond 8000 or 800 when it had a lot of urea in it. I prefer the old glue than the new glue because the old glue became very brittle and very hard. And I felt that it had less movement than the modern Unibond glue does. So now I don't really use urea glues whatsoever. And everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I've veneered conference tables and I just hammer veneer. And I never had a problem. And if I can't hammer veneer, then I go ahead and use old brown glue and I use heated aluminum like plates and I put them on top of MDF. And that's my clamping and slash melting of the glue so that it adheres properly. And it's it's worked and I never had an issue. See, now I do use Unibond 800. And I personally think the newer, greener version of it is nicer to work with. Uh, maybe that's partly because it doesn't smell as much when I, and I am wearing a mask, which you should always do mm-hmm. with that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I like it. The open time seems to be slightly longer, um, which uh, it all depends on how you mix it, which I do mix it by weight using a scale. It's mm-hmm. just way more consistent that way. But all my veneer work is usually glued up with that stuff. It has to be a pretty small piece for me to use, uh, like a, a a PVA glue. Otherwise, it's it's Unibond, just strictly for its work time. And I do always put it also in a vacuum bag. Uh, I just leave it overnight. It's just the easiest way for me to do it. Yeah, I've always had good results with that. Yeah, the the we, I guess we should talk about what the the, the big difference is, you know, between you know, using a urea resin glue and a PVA glue, and it's it really has to do with the rigidity of the glue. Um, urea resin leaves a yeah. very, very hard, brittle 
glue line, and it, it prevents the wood from moving around too much. If you use a PVA glue, there's, you know, a good example of it. We were talking before we started the podcast. Um, I did a table where I was using a cherry crotch veneer and I used uh, mm-hmm. a cold press veneer glue, which is PVA. It just has some solids in it to help prevent the glue from seeping up through the, the thin factory veneer of, you know, it's like a factory cut veneer is a 42nd of an inch thick. Um, and it came out of the bag fine, let it dry overnight. And unfortunately, all the crotch figure in it cracked because the glue got wet and dried. Now, if I would have used a urea resin glue, that probably would not have happened. It would have held the the veneer to the substrate better. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had the same exact issue where I've used the cold press. Uh, it was on a large tabletop and... As I placed it on there and I turned around more or less to get the batten that would go on top of it as it goes in the bag, it was the water in the cold press made that veneer curl and it, it got wet. And because it was only wet on one side, it, it shrunk and pulled itself apart and it was a mess. So ever since then, I've gone and used Unibon 800 urea glue. Um, I know that it is it DAP that makes a urea glue too that's water-based? Mm-hmm. Yes. which I've, I've never used that. And that's that's the reason that I use the, the Unibon because it, it is no water. There's not water. Yeah, there, there's, in it. It's just a powder and you add water to it. I have some of that also, which is a pre-catalyzed re-resin glue that's powder and you add water to okay. it. Um, and that works. I've actually had very good success with that. I, I use that a lot for bent laminations. Okay. Speaking of, you know, we were talking about Unibon. Uh, they also make a PVA-based cold-press veneer glue. I think they call it Unibond 1, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. That does leave a fairly rigid glue line. I've used that a few times too. And it's it's much Mm -hmm. better than the, you know, let's say like the Titebond cold-press or some of the other brands out there. Um, Yeah. So. Yeah. I, for me personally, uh, the, the Unibon, it's expensive, yeah, but it, it, it's worth it. It does have a shelf life, mm-hmm. which is, I think, just under a year. More or less, it's the same thing as PVA glue. Once you see the container start discoloring, it's usually bad. It it doesn't. Um, the powder lasts forever, but yeah, the the actual resin yeah, stuff. The only doesn't. tip I can give you using a Unibon eight hundred is make sure you store the powder along with. <laughs> the liquid part. There's nothing worse than finding the liquid yeah. part. It's okay. Where the hell did I put that bag of powder? Right. That's happened to me a couple times. So, yeah. But and just uh, one yeah. other thing. Go ahead, Fred. I, I was gonna. Th- oh, just one other thing regarding the Unibon. Uh, temperature plays a huge factor mm-hmm. with it, especially yes. in the cold temperature. Uh, and you have to be aware. There's a certain like I think is it 60 degrees. It can't go under 60 degrees. 70. It can't go on oh, now. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think it's sixty-eight or something like that. But yeah, you it is highly recommended to basically just put a heating blanket on it at all times. Exactly. Uh, I think I think you can't get it too hot. Well, it, so it, it, which I won't put a heating blanket on in, in eighty degree weather. But if it's in my shop during the winter time, it sits under underneath a heating blanket for the winter and whenever I'm gluing up overnight. And I, I usually leave it in the bag for six hours. 
and it's it's majority of the way cured, mm-hmm. but it usually takes about 24 hours to fully mm-hmm. cure where you can not pull it apart. Yeah, I do the same thing. I have a I have a heating blanket that I that I throw over it. Uh, at my shop in the winter time never gets above you know 55 degrees, and in the summertime, you know it it, it it's fairly cool in there because I have air conditioning in there. Um, mm-hmm. so I still have to use the, the, the blanket anytime I do veneering, if I'm using a, a urea resin glue. Yeah. Okay. It's a good point. No, but the heat really also helps accelerate the drying time. Uh, we, yes. I did a big glue up with Will Neptune for a class we did. I think it was like 80 crotch panels and we did everything right. And for some odd bar reason, we didn't realize that the thermostat shuts off and they had a program to be under the temperature that's desired for the glue to work. And we come in next day, we open them all up and every single panel, sorry, it's just war. Every panel <laughs> um, was totally ruined, like 100% totally uh, ruined. Killer. And we had to buy all new yeah. flitches. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I've... I've 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 seen people before too, or they'll take a cold press veneer or a PVA glue and put it on veneer and put it in the bag wall and then say, Well, I'm gonna leave it in the bag for six hours or so. That you do not want to do that because the the glue without air won't dry. So no, it doesn't cure. Sure. You need to take it out of the bag after about forty five minutes or so and let the air hit it. Now with your rear resin glue, it doesn't require <clears throat> that air to cure. Um, mm-hmm. So leaving it in the bag actually helps. And again, I mentioned before with bent laminations, you put a uh, bent lamination in a bag with rear resin glue, at least since it leaves such a very hard, rigid glue line, you get, you know, virtually no spring back at all with it. Um, yeah. Which is a big plus. Yeah, which I yeah I forgot. That's the other time that I will use urea glue is for bent laminations and stuff like that. And it, well, guy, do you do yours by weight or do you just measure it by? Volume? If I'm if I'm if I'm yeah. I have two different types of resin glue. I said I've got some powder and I've also got the Unibond. The Unibond I'm, I weigh. I've got a postal scale. Okay. Um, yep. But with the other stuff, I mean, it's 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 by volume, not by weight. I'm a big fan of the Unibond and I'm going to suggest this to people that well worth it just for the open time. And Freddie's going to say, yes, you can do uh, high glue and all that. And I agree you can't, but for the ease of it is really, it's a really nice glue for doing veneer. You have to weigh it. You have to keep it warm and you have to wear a mask while you're mixing it and putting it on. Cause you can't have the dust around. Right. Um, but otherwise, you just roll it on and roll it on thick. If you're putting it in a vacuum bag, it'll squeeze itself outwards, excess. But the stuff is super easy to work with in that sense because the open time is so yeah. well. So, yeah. Can I add two things? Absolutely. Please. So the, the other thing that you can do is you can just veneer with epoxy using West System epoxy. And uh, that works really good. And essentially what happens is that – Usually there's bleed through because epoxy is so viscous 
um, especially if you add a little bit of acetone to it, that really thins it down. But what ends up happening is if there's a concern for cracking of the crotch or the burl, because of epoxy, epoxy seeps through all the crevices. And essentially what happens is that the glue up becomes like a formica. And mm-hmm. then you can go ahead and like sand everything with like a high quality orbital sander and remove all the epoxy. Again, highly recommend wearing a mask and proper face shield and maybe even wear gloves or cover your arms because you don't want that stuff to seep in through your skin. But it gives you a very stable board and there's no concern of moisture. So that's one thing mm-hmm. that you can do. The other one is, believe it or not, is uh, Gorilla Glue. Gorilla Glue um, works really well for gluing up in your vacuum bag because there's no moisture and there's no concern of movement, especially if you're only going to veneer one side. I'm not a huge fan of Gorilla Glue, but when it comes to veneering, especially for contemporary furniture, I I do enjoy using it. Yeah. Now, I was going to talk about polyurethane or Gorilla Glue a little bit there, too. Um, I, I used to use it quite a bit for bent laminations, and it worked pretty mm-hmm. well. Um, but but now I, don't, I don't see how you could use it for veneer because, you know, typically, you know, you put the, the polyurethane glue on, and it, you have to use a, you know, you have to wet the other side a little bit to act as a catalyst. And that's where you mm-hmm. get all the foaming and, and such. I mean, is that not an issue with veneer? Where you, wouldn't it like foam up underneath and do all that? Or you just well, I guess you just don't use the water. No, I do use the very very thin amount of, of water, and I am using sawn shop veneers. I'm not using any modern yeah. veneers. <clears throat> and usually, what happen, What we do is we put it in a vacuum bag, in for maybe a half hour. That's it. And then after that, we take it off and we clamp it with calls to make sure that um, there's enough moisture and enough time to stuff to activate and react to the atmosphere. And um, it works really great. It really does. It's but it amazing how it well it works. It doesn't, the foam doesn't bubble up the veneer at all? No, oh. it does not. Yeah, you said you're using shops on veneer, so it's going to be yes. at least a sixteenth of an inch thick. And that's another thing that you know yep. we were talking about before too is that you know the using a shops on veneer, you know, a sixteenth inch. I've gone as you know as thick as an eighth inch before on shops on veneer. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to move a lot more than the the forty second of an inch thick stuff you buy, you know, from a, a veneer house. So that's when you really should be using something with a very rigid glue line like a urea resin glue. Um, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a huge factor because if you, if you don't do that, that wood is going to move on there and it's gonna, it'll crack and split on you if you're using a PVA-based glue. Mm-hmm. So this is getting kind of involved in gluing. When, when I do use 16th-inch veneers, which I do quite a bit, I'll actually edge glue them mm-hmm. together and I'll use I'll usually use a PVA for that. Just so they glue together quickly and then I tape it after my edges are all jointed. And then that'll hold that whole sheet together so when I go to put the unibond to glue it onto the panel, that's how I secure it completely. Yeah. And I and I, I more or less edge glue it because it's thick enough that you can do it and it just it fights that headache of having the have tape hold it together. I don't usually use anything thinner than a 16th. And even when it comes to modern day veneers with burls and everything else, if I have to be forced to use a factory made or, you know, commercially available crotch 
or burl, I always glue glue some some veneer on the back of it. Usually perpendicular if it's if I can. Burls doesn't really matter, but you know, for crotch and everything else. Uh, essentially, what I'm trying to do is make my own like plywood, and that makes mm-hmm. things much more stable, and have the capability of working it better. But when it comes to high glue with seams and everything else, usually what I do is I glue one board down, you know, one thick piece of veneer down. I overlap the second veneer to where my points are for reference for the joint. And I usually just saw through both pieces at once with a veneer saw. And um, usually it's seamless because, you know, what happens sometimes with burls is if you're not using urea uh, or urea glue, um, um, the the seams wants to separate even if you tape it. And no matter how hard you try sometimes, it's just like everything was perfect. And then under clamps or under the vacuum bag, when you take it out, that 64th of an inch gap, it's just like huge visually. And that's all you can focus on. So that's always a concern. Yeah. Right. So back to the Gorilla Glue. Mm-hmm. I want to say I've pretty much never have used it in my shop. Uh, and then I did use to use it doing construction, but we would glue a product called Fipon together, which is a styrofoam trim. Gorilla Glue basically is that polyurethane foam, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where I've always used it. But outside of that, I've never used yeah, this it's, stuff. It's it's anything. messy as hell to clean up all that foam and everything. And the, and the foam isn't really gap filling. You would think it is, but it really isn't. It doesn't add any strength. The big benefit... The big yeah. benefit to polyurethane glue is that it'll stick to anything. It's kind of yeah. like epoxy. Um, so there, yeah. there is a benefit there. And there's, there's no reason forever to use it for repair. You know, it's every single job that's come in with Gorilla, gorilla Glue on it, it's 100% failed. So it's like, don't waste mm-hmm. your time. And we have to charge you. We can charge you less because you didn't use Gorilla Glue. We charge you more if you use Gorilla Glue. Mm-hmm. What else we have there, guy? Any other questions? Let's see. You've got some stuff that you added here. We covered a lot of this already. Well, yeah. How about uh, hot glue? Do you guys ever use that? Yes. Because I use it quite a bit. Good point. Yep. Yeah, like from a glue gun. So, yeah. Where do you use it, Freddie? Well, um, besides using it for upholstery for like GIMP. Um, when it comes to woodworking, say like you teach in a class and you have multiple mul- uh, like cutting gauges going around, I would put a little bit of you know hot glue on the stem of the cutting gauge so it doesn't move. So that's one thing I use it for. When it comes for jigs at times, I would use it for that uh, to ho- quickly have things intact. The other thing I've done is I've made my own like colored uh, hot glue by adding pigment to it. So there's been applications and restoration work that I needed to go ahead and fill cavities. So, but I also needed it to be tinted. So then I would make my own like glue sticks and that works really well for certain applications. Hot glue for restoration work. So how do you do that? What? How do I do what? How do you, how do you tint it and make your own glue sticks? So basically I, I, I have the pigment ready ready to go in liquid form. I'm melting a glue into a, a plastic tube that basically 
I can squeeze the glue and mix the tint at the same time in one into the container so that I can go ahead and later on release that tube after it's dried and it has color gone all the way through it. Hmm. You can make uh, molds for like gold leaf frames for casting. You can make you know molds with hot, hot glue. You can also fill cavities in moldings and make patterns out of it, or you can actually use it for fill-ins for repairs. Uh, for areas that are not going to be used uh, that frequently or maybe are relatively up high and there's a certain budget involved. That's the other way I've used hot glue. So the way I I use hot glue for – occasionally I'll use it for jigs and stuff just for a quick gluing. Um, But a way that I was taught to use it, which I never realized and then somebody showed me it was brilliant, was for all my toe kicks on my kitchens, Mm -hmm. I'll hot glue them. I use a caulk adhesive, right, to glue them on, more or less, or PVA glue. But it's a pain to get it to stay there. So you either put brad nails or pin nail it on, but you can see that stuff, especially in a painted surface. So I'll use hot glue that way. So I'll put the adhesive caulk on there, on the back of the, the toe kick, and then I'll just take and dab hot glue on it. That way I can stick it on, hold it for two seconds or whatever. The hot glue will hold it till the adhesive caulk actually secures it on there over time uh the same way with backsplashes i never knew how to put a backsplash on a countertop to get it to stay there without screwing it on from underneath until somebody showed me to do it you silicone the back of the backsplash and then hot glue it to get it to hold to the wall till the silicone holds it there which uh, the industry probably knows that whole trick but i never learned it till later on in my construction career um so i occasionally do some formica stuff and that's how i hold things in place that way more or less i'll use it to hold something quickly to get another glue to have time to set up for for its longer setup time so that's why i use hot glue quite a yeah, bit i don't use it that much every now and then i need to hold a piece in a you know light duty jig uh you know especially like when i'm drilling something i don't but um i really don't use it that much not much I can add there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It has it's very limited uses, but it has some really. Uh, once you start using it for certain things, I use it quite a bit for that stuff. I don't know. In my shop, I use I use it hmm. often. No, there could be. You know, there's very there's a variety of different things you can use the hot glue for, and it can be very useful if you have it on hand. It's amazing how beneficial it can be for even quick tacks. Like even if you're carving something or holding, I need to hold something in place, you can always just hot glue it. Say if, you know, a lot of people out oh. there may have may not have a joiner and they may use a sled. They may, if the board is out of whack on one face, they can fill these areas that are not level to hold the board at a certain leveled height and feed it to the planer. That's another mm-hmm. thing that people do. I'm sorry, Justin, I interrupted you. I'll tell you where else. No, no, I was interrupting you. I was, you reminded me. Whenever I cut cabriole legs and you cut the pieces off, I hot glue them back on instead of doing the tape thing. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good use. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Never, yeah. never thought of just that. Just a dab and then you just – because literally it will fill actually the area the blade cut out. So your lines basically come back to the exact mm-hmm. point they should be. Mm-hmm. And then you just take it and just put a chisel in the curve cut that's already there and it pops that's right off. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. 
What else we got? I think that's about it. We can talk about. And before I forget, when it comes to Ben laminations, one of the one of the things I like about uh, old brown glue is that usually when it comes to Ben laminations, there's always a concern of spring back, especially if you use like a PVA. And the reason springback starts to occur uh, from reading lectures and listening to lectures is that the glue starts to set as you keep applying layers on to build up the thickness that you desire. But something like a DAP or a old brown glue, because there is a significant amount of open time, there is no springback. So you can do all these laminations and not be concerned of having a overbent you know, bend so that you expect a spring back to occur and not know exactly what's going to be the end result. But with a urea glue or DAP glue or old brown glue, you can laminate it without any any concerns or and you can cut the form to the exact desired dimension and have the result be what you desire. Yeah. Hide glue, well, especially like brown glue or that, that old brown glue. I don't know if I'd want to use it for a large bent lamination because you'll go through a lot of that stuff and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's by no means inexpensive, but it does last a long time, but I, yeah. I've never tried it for bent laminations. Have you ever used high glue for bent laminations, Justin? No, I've only used high glue once or twice in my life. And as I said in the other episode, it's just, it's a learning curve that I haven't wanted to dive into. I think that's it. There was one other question, uh, scarf joints and their oh, length. Yes. This is something I don't know anything about. So go ahead, Freddie and Guy. I don't know much about it either because that's mostly for, you know, construction type things. You're doing molding and things like that. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I'm going to say doing construction, I didn't do it much either. So it was always just a miter joint more or less for me. Yeah. With scarf joints, scarf joints, it's all about long grain to long grain really. And the longer it mm-hmm. is, the better it is. The, so, obviously, I've done a lot of, I guess you can say, beveled scarf joints when inlay or moldings and everything else. And it's all about surface. It's all about being able to get good adhesion, getting the correct angle. And, you know, I've never really, like, researched it or anything like that. I dive too much into it. All I've ever read was to make sure that you have a good amount of length and that it's clean and both surfaces are flat and that uh, you have to be aware of the stresses. So like on a spindle, you know, you want the, the scarf to go in a certain way because in case people are leaning against it, you don't want to have it go the opposite way and it snaps. You want it to go with the bend as it's leaning. Um, but beyond that, I have no clue. Like I've never, it's not something I enjoy doing. There's, there's sometimes there isn't an easy way. Usually epoxy is my best choice for that because of the concerns of stress. Cause usually it, it occurs on like Windsor chairs is very common, you know, and I'm talking about when I say common, it's not Windsor chairs that are made properly in that the species of the material was used, was riven, and it was draw knife properly because those usually don't break unless they're a couple hundred years old. But more for production-made Windsors, there's a lot of short grain, so those things have a tendency of snapping, and that's when we would use the scarf joint. I think we've, I think we've beat that horse. Well, yeah, we covered quite a bit of stuff, and I know that 
we keep going back to a lot of the same glues over and over. And I think that's mm -hmm. just partially what we use in our shops. The options are endless, I can tell you that. I think with all our suggestions, you should be able to basically do anything you need to do. <laughs> and if you yeah. have any questions, just email them to Freddie. He will respond very quickly. <laughs> if you like, I can give you his phone number and you can text him. Unless it's yep. fish glue, then you can email a guy. <laughs> he knows everything know about that, about right? <laughs> Actually, there was one, before I forget, there was one person who mentioned that guy uses PVA and he spreads it on veneer and then heats the veneer and glues it down to a substrate. I've only done this once or twice, and I, and I think Mario Rodriguez wrote an article about it in Fine Woodworking. And for the application that I use, um, it worked great. But it's not something yeah, I, was, I do use very frequently. Yeah, I did a, a, a video on it. I was building a, a bathroom vanity for my daughter. And uh, I was doing the drawers and I didn't have any, you know, iron-on glue. And I didn't feel like driving up to, you know, the, the big box store to get some. So I just basically cut some 32nd, inch, 32nd of an inch strips off some maple and applied some PVA to that and to the plywood sides, let it dry till it wasn't till it wasn't tacky anymore, not completely cured, maybe in like 40 minutes or so. And then I just put them on there and heated it up with an iron and it, it works really well. I've done it quite a few times. Um, but yeah, that, that does work pretty well. And it's just regular, I was just using regular type on too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, they they make a cold press. Not a, I don't want to say cold press. They make a uh, an iron on veneer glue. I forget what it's called, but you put it on there. You let it dry, and it's specifically made to be heated up with an iron to apply veneer. And I guess if you don't have a vacuum bag and you're doing a large surface, uh, it can be pretty beneficial. I know a couple of people that that use it quite a bit, and they really like it. I know I've tried it once in my life, doing it that way, and I I don't remember the results. It, it must it must have been good because if it went south, you would remember it. <laughs> or if it was great, I'd keep doing it. <laughs> That's true, also. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, if anybody has any questions about this, you can shoot us an email at theatgpodcast at gmail.com or uh, on Instagram. Feel free to find us there or the website if you want to find all of us. Freddie, where can everybody find you at? The easiest is to visit periodcraftsmen.com. It's crafts with an S and men with an E. You can find me at jdfinewoodworking at gmail.com uh, or on Instagram. Justin underscore De Palma. Guy, how about you? Uh, the easiest place to find me is my, my website, guyswoodshop.com. Very easy. Perfect. All right. Till the next one, guys. All I'll right. Talk to you later. Awesome. We'll see you. Later. See you later.